This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Are you thinking about a new car this year? Well, after a few difficult years, Detroit is upbeat about its new offerings. Dave Redinger of Dave's Corner Garage on the new AM740 is just back from the Detroit Auto Show. He'll fill us in on the best new models and trends and tell us what Zoomers should look for. Also, many of us have made New Year's resolutions to lose weight and become healthier. Well, today I'll talk to Dr. Stephen Blair. He'll tell us why regular, moderate exercise is more important than counting calories. When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? Also, at 87, the legendary Doris Day has received the Los Angeles Film Critics Lifetime Achievement Award. In addition, she's just recently released an album called My Heart, which features some previously unreleased songs that she recorded with her son in the 1980s. You'll have some of those songs a little later on in the program, but first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The World Economic Forum has released its 2012 Global Risk Report. It's essentially a list, in order, of the biggest problems the world will face over the next decade. At the top, severe income disparity and chronic government debt. Other critical risks include global warming, failure of regulation, and population growth. Another major worry is what the organization calls the dark side of connectivity – With our current dependence on online communication and business, a major cyber attack could bring devastation. Meanwhile, America had to raise its debt ceiling in 2011 and may have to do it again if things don't change. Well, Zoomer financial guru Warren Buffett is looking at a different option. He's announced he'll match any voluntary contributions made by Republican members of Congress. It wasn't so long ago that a citizen in the U.S. couldn't even opt to pay more taxes. Buffett made headlines in August when he announced that the tax system was so lopsided, his secretary had to pay more to the government than he did. At the time, Senator Mitch McConnell said that if Buffett was feeling guilty about paying too little in taxes, he should send in a check. Soon after, the Republicans introduced the Buffett Rule Act, an option on tax forms to allow the rich to donate more in taxes to help pay down the national debt. Buffett says he'll match any donation made by Senator McConnell three to one. Here's an ominous finding. It seems that Zoomers may also be the most frequent boozers. The study by the American Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says that while more people in the 18 to 34 age group binge drink overall, it's the 65-plus age group that binge drinks most frequently. The study describes binge drinking as four or more drinks for a woman and five or more drinks for a man. It says binge drinkers in the 65-plus category do it an average of five to six times a month. 
Zoomers need to be careful when it comes to drinking too much. Alcohol may worsen or cause certain medical conditions such as osteoporosis, stroke, memory loss, high blood pressure, even cancer, not to mention cirrhosis. William Shatner is heading back to Broadway. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy caught in a landslide? No escape from reality. After 50 years, the iconic Zoomer will perform a one-man show that opens next month. The Music Box Theatre will present Shatner's World, We Just Live in It. The show will offer the actor's take on his journey from being a Shakespearean stage actor to the internationally known Captain Kirk and finally the unique persona he's become today. Shatner, who graced the cover of Zoomer magazine in November, says his plan has always been to return to Broadway every 50 years. To quote him, I can't ask my fans to wait for me longer than Halley's Comet, so I'm coming back. And speaking of space, Stephen Hawking turned 70 years old last weekend. This milestone is extraordinary. Hawking was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease in 1963, and this carries a life expectancy of two to five years from diagnosis. Although he was too ill to attend the function in person, his distinctive voice still rang through the special conference at Cambridge University in a pre-recorded speech. I believe that life on Earth is at the ever-increasing risk of being wiped out by a disaster. He used the opportunity to urge us to colonize other planets, saying he doesn't think we'll survive another thousand years without escaping beyond our fragile planet. Those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I'm Libby Zimmer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. For all you car lovers out there, the Detroit Auto Show is on. And this year, the Mo in Motown stands for mojo and momentum because it looks like the industry is back. And Dave Redinger of Dave's Corner Garage is just back from Detroit to tell us all about it. Dave, welcome and thanks for joining us. Hey, you know, it's only three hours away from here to Detroit. It was a great show. Uh, lots of spirit. The manufacturers are back with a lot of great product. And uh, people are happy. I mean, last year they were depressed. And the year before, man, you could wipe the floor with them. This year, everybody was up. They're handing out their brochures. Their product was good. Just a great show. And it's not just that things are back, but it seems like we're seeing a resurgence of American cars. Yes. Not just American cars, but what we're seeing is a changing of the guard. The car of the year this year was Hyundai. Uh, this, the truck of the year, instead of being Ford, was Rover. The GM line is great. Chrysler's brought out the new Dodge Dart. There's just a changing of the guard. The Japanese sort of didn't bring a lot of stuff out, and the Americans were back. Now, you mentioned the Dodge Dart. That's kind of a nostalgia car from the 70s that'll appeal to a lot of Zoomers, but I don't think it's a lot like the one that was around in the 70s. This is not your grandmother's Dodge Dart. Great car. I mean, it is in the... I guess it's about the size of a Honda Civic, a little bit larger. You can basically see the silhouette of, of a Chrysler in it, but it's all Italian. It's all leather. It smells right. It goes right, priced right. It's going to be a winner. Who is that aimed at? Is that aimed at Zoomers who remember the Dodge Dart, or is it aimed at a, a younger? You know, unfortunately, they all aim at guys with no money. <laughs> <laughs> and the truth is over 70% of the vehicles out there are bought by Zoomers. So will we buy it? Yes, but more than likely we'll buy a bigger car. Uh, one thing I did notice was getting in and out of the car was a little bit harder for me. I like something with a little wider door, a little higher roof line. Uh, so I wouldn't be a buyer for that car, no. 
where I would be a buyer is the new Cadillac. And that's a wow, a really phenomenal piece. The uh, ATS? ATS, exactly right. I love that car. I sat there for about 15 minutes just going over with it. It is super. And if you look at the car, you remember GM owns Opel. And a lot of that technology is German. The first thing they do is they take it out in the Nuremberg ring and they race it around the ring and it does good numbers. Uh, it looks right. It, it's got the right kind of engines in it. I think that's a winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the price point on that? Well, probably about 50, 60, I imagine. So it's a pretty expensive car. Yeah. These two, both the Dart and yep. uh, this Cadillac, were in the editor's top yeah. picks. Yeah, really nice cars. One thing that's interesting in the show, I saw a lot of little cars. Complete opposite of the spectrum. The Chevy Spark was there, which is like a, a micro car. Uh, Toyota brought a car called IQ, the Mazda 2. There's a city car being developed, and then there's a, the, a regular car. So it looks like they're trying to develop a market for commuters. Now, what about hybrid cars? Where are they standing this year? Well, they introduced a car there called a Coda, C-O-D-A, which is really a California company taking an old Mitsubishi shell, putting in new electronics into it and selling it as an electric car. I think that was the last kick of the can. I think the pure electric car, like the Nissan Leaf and this sort of thing, is dead. The hybrids are really where it's at. And I think of that, the Chevy Volt has got to be the best thing out there. It won Car of the Year uh, in 2010. Uh, it's a great car. It's a good product. Can't build enough of them. I think the plug-in hybrids, that's where it's going to go. But the reality is a lot of this stuff is only 2%, 2.5% of the market. It's not a lot of cars. Over all the years of production of Prius and everything, all the hybrids together, I think they sold 2 million cars worldwide. So it's not a big part of the market when you consider you're selling 15 to 18 million cars a year just in the States. Now, there used to be a big premium that you paid for yep. being environmentally conscious. Is, is it still that high? No, it's less. Uh, and the other part of it is they don't sell it because of its fuel economy or environmentally. They sell it because of performance. So if you've got a gasoline engine and you boost it with another 80 or 90 horsepower electric motor, you've all of a sudden got a 500 horsepower hoo-ha, and that's going to go down the road. So that's how they've been selling it. So what is the kind of premium you're paying for having a hybrid? Uh, I would think probably five to $6,000 premium, yeah. Is there a payback on it? Ten years. Ten years. Well, the higher the gas goes, the more the faster the pay down. That makes sense. Yeah, so that, that's what they're banking on. Okay, and, and another thing I'm curious about, you know, in a recession or when times are tough, people keep their cars longer. Yeah. So w- what is the trend now? Where are we at? How often do people buy a new car? Believe it or not, the average used car is 8 to 10 years old. Uh, it used to be the average used car was 5 to 6 years old. So, yes, we're keeping them longer. Part of that is because they last. They don't break like they used to. Uh, engines last almost forever. Uh, transmissions last forever. All a car wants is a oil change every so often, and it'll survive. Okay, just final question. If you were shopping, what would you buy? Good question. I think I'd buy the Caddy. My dad had a Cadillac, and I'm a Cadillac man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, zoom, zoom, (laughs) vroom, vroom. Dave Redinger, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Andrew Joy. Thank you. You can hear Dave Redinger every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. on Dave's Corner Garage right here on the new AM740 Zoomer Radio. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Is one of your goals for 2012 getting into better shape? Well, in just a minute, I'll be joined by Dr. Stephen Blair, who will tell us why regular, moderate exercise is more important than counting calories. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. It was big news earlier this week when Toronto Mayor Rob Ford and his brother Doug announced they intend to lose weight and get fit. Ford, of course, is famous for referring to himself as 300 pounds of fun. 
He and his brother say they want to be around to see their grandchildren, and they hope that public pressure will help them reach their goal. That's a good plan, according to our next guest, Dr. Stephen Blair, an exercise scientist from the University of South Carolina. He was in town to receive an award for his research linking physical fitness with decreased mortality and numerous health benefits. First of all, congratulations on winning the first Bloomberg Manulife Prize for the promotion of active health at McGill University. Well, thank you very much. I feel very much honored by that. Your research has shown that as little as 30 minutes of physical activity a day is enough to drive down mortality rates by 50%. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that. We've been following a large population of men and women for 30 years. We have 80,000 under observation that have undergone a very extensive medical examination, history, physical exam, and a lot of laboratory tests, including a maximal exercise test on a treadmill. So we have a measure of aerobic fitness. It's actually a better measure of physical activity than if we ask you questions about physical activity because we might not ask the right question, you might not remember, and there's the occasional person who will exaggerate a little bit when you ask them. And then we follow the people forward in time to see who lives, who dies, who gets sick, who stays healthy. And fitness is a very important predictor of those outcomes. How did you get to this number of 30 minutes? Well, we observed the death rates during follow-up in low-fit individuals, which is the bottom 20% of the distribution. And we're really surprised to see that even just the moderately fit people who got out of that low-fit category uh, had a death rate one-half that of the low-fit people during the follow-up period. And as we investigated further, and others did as well, the 150 minutes a week of moderate intensity activity, such as walking, will produce this moderate level of fitness. So you divide 150 by five, maybe people take a couple of days off, you get to 30 minutes. But we also have evidence, and I've done research, very large randomized experiment in postmenopausal, overweight or obese, mildly hypertensive women, and 72 minutes a week of moderate intensity activity made a lot of changes in their fitness and other variables. So 150 minutes is kind of a target. But yeah, if you do half that, you're better off than doing zero. Now, when you say moderate activity, what do you mean? Walking is the best example of that. Uh, Housework, almost all household chores are of the same relative intensity. Uh, A walking, housework, that kind of thing increases your resting metabolic rate three or four fold. You say that the problem is not obesity, but lack of activity. Explain that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, obesity gets enormous amount of attention in the scientific press, in the lay press. Obesity, obesity, obesity epidemic. Oh, my goodness. Biggest public health problem ever. But when we look at our data, we find that the individuals who are, in fact, obese but are fit, are at least moderately fit, have a death rate during follow-up one-half that of the normal weight people who are not fit. In other words, fitness essentially eliminates the health hazards associated with obesity. But doesn't obesity make it more difficult to be fit? Oh, it probably does. And there is a relationship between body mass index, weight, obesity, and fitness. But it's not a perfect relationship. If you stop to think about it, you know somebody who's skinny, who's really unhealthy, who never exercises, (laughs) maybe smokes, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't mean you can't tell by looking whether someone is healthy or not. 
If we look at obese individuals, fewer of them are fit, but it's not as though they're extraordinarily rare. The individuals in class 2 obesity, body mass index of 35 to 39.9. And how many pounds overweight would that be? 40 pounds overweight. But um, in that group of class 2 obese individuals, uh, about 40 or 45% of them were fit and proved it on the treadmill test. Now, in that same study, if we go down to the normal weight people, then 85 or 95% of them are fit. And if you are fit, whether you're overweight or obese, it pretty much eliminates the hazards of being overweight or obese. Now, the other thing that we have to do, we have to teach in our educational system people how to use cognitive and behavioral strategies to change behaviors and adopt the behaviors that are healthful or, or good. So what do we do? <clears throat> okay, what do we do? We have, one of the strategies is self-monitoring. Any behavior that you want to change, knowing where you are with that behavior, is a bit of a useful starting point. And then another key one is social support. Right, exercise you, with buddies. Are you surprised to hear that if you want to change any behavior, if you get the people in your life, family, coworkers, friends, if they support you, you're going to be more likely to make that change. Sign a contract, a behavioral contract. I am going to get 5,000 steps a day next week. And it's announced in the group. And then next week we ask, did you do it? Did you do it? What got in the way? And somebody says, well, you know, I had trouble with that issue myself. And here's how I solved it. So that's the social support and problem solving. Okay, sounds good. Dr. Stephen Blair, thanks for joining us. It is my pleasure. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review on the new AM740. Gonna take a sentimental journey. Doris Day has just won the Los Angeles Film Critic Association's Lifetime Achievement Award. This comes after the 87-year-old icon released her new album, My Heart, her first since the 1960s. We'll be back with a sample in just a moment. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. That's Doris Day with K Sera Sera. She first sang it in the 1956 Alfred Hitchcock film, The Man Who Knew Too Much. That year, it won the Academy Award for Best Original Song. It went on to become one of Doris Day's signature songs, and eventually it became the theme for the Doris Day Show. On Friday, she received the Los Angeles Film Critic Association's Lifetime Achievement Award. With her legendary Girl Next Door image, Doris Day appeared in 39 films, and her music career was equally impressive. After being noticed for her now-famous recording of Sentimental Journey, she released 29 albums, spent 460 weeks in the top 40 charts, becoming one of America's most beloved entertainers. And at 87 years old, she's still at it. She's released her first album of new recordings since the 60s, and it debuted at number 9 on the UK charts, making her the oldest artist to score a UK top 10 album with an album featuring new material. Here's one of the many great songs on the album. You'll probably recognize it. It's a new recording of an old favorite, You Are So Beautiful to Me.
You are so beautiful to me. You are so beautiful. Can't you see? You're everything I've hoped for. was Doris Day singing You Are So Beautiful to Me. It's from her newest album, My Heart, which features her first new recording since the 60s. Now, she did make the Love album in 1994, but all those songs were recorded in 1967. That brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll be back next Sunday at noon, right here on the new AM740 Zoomer Radio. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.